Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Iron Works Podcast. I'm Pastor Tyler. And I'm Zach. And we're really glad to have you all joining us today. We've really been seeing a, an increase in the number of people that are listening and hearing from some of you and, and your comments online. And I uh, just wanted to say thank you for that. Uh, this has been really exciting for us to see that there are people actually paying attention to uh, what we're doing here. And we yeah. value each and every one of you. So uh, thanks for that. Uh, today, as we're recording it, it'll obviously be posted later, but today is Good Friday. And Good Friday, of course, is the day where we celebrate the crucifixion when Jesus died on the cross. And Good Friday is always an interesting day, isn't it, Zach? Because it's a celebratory day, but it's also a day of lament, isn't it? I, I mean, how do you kind of balance that in your own head? Do you usually think of Good Friday as a more happy thing or as a more somber sad thing just personally yeah i've lately because we've been doing teaching like we've been trying to focus on doing teachings at the church around these days like we're going to make a point of doing a special good friday service and doing a specific teaching for easter and and a lot of the other like i guess what you'd call the church holidays right and um it's been really helpful for me because it does it's you can't easter of course is like exciting and 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 joyful and triumphant but i think for me this, this like today i was listening to some a selection of scriptures around good friday and they're all downers you know it's it's the the psalms that are you know prefiguring jesus experience on the on the cross and and talking about you know the his time in gethsemane and stuff and it's i think it is supposed to be a little bit more serious and it and it just reminds you that you don't get to um i was even talking about this with my wife this morning you, you don't get to have the resurrection without that it's it's right. required and and it deepens our understanding of you know how blessed we are to be in Jesus if we know what it cost you know the lord to get to that point so right. yeah i think as we remember the story like you know there's the lament that has to come along with it because we're lamenting over sin we're lamenting mm. over what we did to Jesus right you know when god came down and walked among us we nailed him to a tree i mean that's a that's a heavy thing to think mm. about but there's always that undercurrent of joy it's like watching a movie that you love you know that you, you might still emotionally react to the hard bits but you know that the yeah, end the is going to be happy mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you know easter of course is an unmitigated celebration and good friday is a celebration as well but it's it's definitely a more sober day and i kind of like to end our services on Good Friday is maybe with a little more serious tone, just to, it helps you to remember that mm-hmm. what the Lord did. Um, you know, let me ask you, Zach. So I, I love watching uh, any good adaptation of the Jesus story. So that includes, I've seen a pieces of the chosen, you know, I've, but I love the passion of the Christ. I watch that almost every year. And mm-hmm. have you, you've been to Israel several times. Have you been to some of these, these sites before? Um, yeah. The, and, and the, the, cool thing or the difficult thing with some of that is that you know archaeologically some of them we're not exactly sure right like a lot of them are more this is traditionally where it is which i've got no problem with that like it there's no reason why it can't be there's a there's a wonderful old i think he was a scottish guy that i was a tour guide one time when we were at the garden of gethsemane where you had a scottish tour guide yes he was like maybe he was uh, if he beat (laughs) four foot tall (laughs) <laughs> oh no! He was he was just barely four foot tall. Maybe he's this little Scottish guy, and he was this wonderful old believer. And he was explaining the garden tomb, and which is traditionally thought to be the empty tomb where Jesus was buried. Now, and and people of course ask him, well, do we do we know that? Like, how can we know? And he says, listen, he says this. He goes through and he explains how that 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 site is at the very least in the same place at the same you know time. culturally this makes sense to what's described he said so if it's not the tomb of christ then it's a brilliant visual aid and so (laughs) i think about it sometimes with some of those sites it's like look even if this isn't the exact place and many of them really genuinely could be 
Um, but there are some that we're very sure that it's called the Ece Omo pavement, which is a piece of Roman era pavement that is thought to be literally, it, it, we are almost 100% sure that this is the pavement where Jesus dis was displayed by Pilate. And he says, you know, behold the man. Wow. And there, there, you can stand, it's underground now, kind of because of the layers that have been built up, but you can stand there and they, they're like, look, as far as we can tell, this is the pavement of the palace where Pilate would have been, you know, which that's it, uh, creepy. That's isn't, remarkable. Yeah, creepy isn't the word. It's it's haunting to be there when you're like, oh, this is kind of this is the the actual stone, you know, pavement where Jesus would have stood. That's pretty crazy. And and it was a cool that experience of being there. It, it helps you not have it be. I try to explain to people, it's like you have these kids storybook pictures when you read the Bible. And even if you can just take one or two of those and put a, a vacation photo from your life, you can say, oh, this that was at like a place. I'd love you know? to go to Israel. That was helpful. Man. I've never been there. And yeah, I'm always hearing other pastors talking about it. And they always ask me like, so, I mean, how do you, do you think it's the garden tomb? I'm like, bro, I've, I've never been, Yeah, yeah. you know, I'd love to get out there and, and talk about it. But so let me ask you one more question related to this, just as I, you know, think about this. Everybody always says that Golgotha, the place of the skull, yes, like looks like a, like skull rock. Like, does it like, is that, is that real? Or is that, that's one that I've, urban so legend? there's different. Yes, there is a hill. It's near a bus station right now. I've not been to that spot, but I've seen a picture that somebody took from it. Because I know, like, the city has expanded yes. to include that Correct. now, right? So it's like, in the middle it's of bigger this, than it used to be. It's in the middle of the city now. It's not outside the city anymore. But it's, it's like, literally a little hilltop overlooking a bus station now. And I've seen photos of people who've been there, and it looks like it to me. I mean, you know, now it like it, how so? So I mean, just just describe it. Like, it, can you see like, oh, there's the eyes. And yeah, the it looks nose. like there's like, two big sunken pockets in the rock, and then like a nose bridge kind of rock thing. And you look at it, and you say, oh yeah, sure. You know, now do, again, I, I I hate being here's this is a this is a free lesson. This didn't even have anything to do with today. I hate being skeptical about these things because that's not the heart we're supposed to have as believers. Yes, you don't want to be like credulous, right? But why wouldn't like the Bible says that this is what it looked like. I wouldn't be surprised to see that. Do I know for a fact that that's the one? No, but looking at it, I would say, huh, if this is about where it says that it was and it looks about like it says, and I don't see any reason why. I mean, it, it to me, you look at it and it's kind of creepy. You're like, huh. Sometimes <laughs> it can be like we have, we, we just can't let ourselves have any fun at all. Yeah. Yeah. You that's know? exactly <laughs> what I mean. Yeah. So I know I I've, I've seen photos of that spot. People so have you walked sense to down uh, the Via Dolorosa before? Yes. Is that, not, that's, that's the place where he would have, walked that is they, they think that one is more depends that one's more connected to catholic tradition because it's got like the different stations of the cross right which are sure. somewhere somewhere in the bible and some are traditional and that is one that i've heard people say that's well, where some of those by the way for those of you listening if you if you're like me and you watch the passion of the christ the first time and you're right. like i don't remember any of this from the bible like when the lady wipes his face and stuff like that's all mm -hmm. catholic tradition and it's not in the bible right which um the, the thing I have heard, and don't quote me on this one because I'm less, I know less about this, but the thing I've heard about the Via Dolorosa is that the route as it's laid out in Jerusalem, it may very well be the route that Jesus took out of the city. The only issues are that in some of those streets and stuff, that that's not where the original street was. Like there's been big changes to how the city's laid I out. I see. Okay. So that's the, only, that's the only thing that I've heard. Again, that doesn't mean you're in Jerusalem. I always tell people, it's like, look, but you're in Jerusalem, though. Right. Like, that's what we This said, is the you know, city, man. When we're so, in Nepal, like, that's one of the uh, things that Nanda talks about a lot, is he says, when you talk to these people, all these Hindu legends, they're these imaginary cities. Like, right. it might as well that be never Star happened. Wars. Yes. Like, yes. Alderaan. Yes. Like, right. you know, well, it was there, but it's, it's like either in another dimension or right. back in time, but... 
you know, he'll tell people like you can you can book a ticket and fly to Jerusalem if you mm-hmm. want to. Like, you can go to Bethlehem. You can go see. Yep. We know his father's name. We know his city that he lived in. Like this is this really happened, and I would love to get over there. But as I, you know, going through that the celebration of this time of year and thinking about it, I thought it'd be fun to mm-hmm. just dig into that and say, well, is is this real? Well, it absolutely was real, and we know where most of these things were. And even if we can't precisely identify all of that, I mean. The fact that we even have some idea after two thousand years oh, is, yeah. is amazing, and um, yeah. that doesn't get enough enough traction. I feel like, especially like online, where people just want to just dunk on the church and like it has made the stuff up. It's like, well, you can come look at it if you oh, want yeah. to. You can <laughs> see the <laughs> you know? yeah off to the left if you go to the if you go to the um, if you go to the Wailing Wall and you go left, <laughs> right? You know those pictures you see. If you go right. left, there's a little uh, tunnel and a set of alcoves, and they'll take you in it. It's under the hill, basically. And that there's a spot where you can see large stones, I mean massive stones, that were flung down from the top of the hill at the retaining wall to hit the pavement. And they believe that those stones were dislodged during the Roman conquest in 70 AD. So yeah. th- those are the rocks that were getting shoved off. So when Jesus said, you know, not one stone will be left on another, you're, you get to look at like physical, yes, these are the stones that were not left on top of one another that Jesus prophesied were going to be cast down. So that, you know, yeah, there's stuff like that all over the place. Also, Sandy Patty's song Via Dolorosa is amazing. That's and, true. And makes me cry every time. <laughs> it's like, oh, I it's, remember that song. Oh, yeah. I heard That's a version right. of that song that I, I need to go find again in Italian. Oh wow! Okay, and I mean, yeah. you know, Via Dolorosa. I mean, that's yeah, yeah. that's Latin, but it it just about made me cry, man. Like <laughs> just the yeah. way of suffering is what that means. The way of pain, uh, if you know your Spanish, right? Dolor means mm-hmm. pain because it comes from the Latin there. But uh, well, praise the Lord, Jesus died on the cross for our sins mm. and rose again from the dead on the third day, and that's what we're celebrating today as we record it. And uh, that's also part of what we're going to talk about today on the podcast, uh, talking about the old and the new covenant. And last time there's going to be, I'll tell you right now, there's going to be some repetition this week of what we discussed last time, because in order to get this discussion fully fleshed out, you have to reiterate some things. So last time we went through salvation history, more or less from start to finish. We outlined what we call the, uh, the dispensational view of, of scripture. And I think this week, even if you are not a dispensationalist, uh, you will, you'll be able to track with what we're talking about today. And, uh, there are some differences, and we certainly have our position, but uh, I think we all land in the same important place, which is that Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. Right. But uh, So we went from the beginning, from the garden. We talked about why God created the, the world in the first place and how his plan throughout history to redeem the world has been to achieve the very same goals for which he created it. You know, We looked at the, the dispensation under Adam and then under Noah and then that whole deal and walked through it. But the whole purpose of what we're trying to do in this series here, and it's going to be four or five episodes, is talking about the discontinuities and the continuities between the Old and the New Covenant. And by that, we specifically mean the Law of Moses and the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we use that term, Zach, Old Covenant and New Covenant. There are lots of covenants in the Bible, but explain to me a little about why we use those terms, Old and New Covenant, to describe the Law of Moses and then the gospel of Jesus well, Christ. Well, I mean, Jesus uses those terms, right? I mean, he says, I, I'm making a new covenant, you know, with you in my blood. So some of it is we're saying, well, Jesus drew this line and said, hey, this is before, now is different. Um, and it also kind of just reflects, you know, if even if you look at the, the two parts of your Bible, they're not halves, 
most of it, right, mm-hmm. is the Old Testament yes. talking about the Old Covenant or, you know, covenants, right? But right. And, and remind us, what is a covenant? Just real quick, define so that for us. A covenant would is basically an agreement between, and usually we're between a ruler and a set of subjects. So it's an agreement that says, look, I'm going to do this. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to care for you. I'm going to watch over you. You are going to do this. You're going to obey me. You're going to give me taxes or whatever it would be, right? Well, God make you know makes direct covenants with his people throughout human history. He says, look, I'm going to do this, but you have to do this. Now, God's covenants are different from earthly covenants because usually there's parts where he says, look, it doesn't matter what you do. I'm going to carry out my part and we always fail in our part of the covenant. But the, when we're talking about the old, and if you hear somebody say the old covenant, they're, they're referring to people walking with God, you know, serving the Lord underneath in the Old Testament. Yeah, and, and the law of Moses like. is yes. it's shorthand for that. Exactly. Uh, and now, again, we're not going to dive into the theology of this bit so much again today, but if you are what's called a covenant theologian, mm-hmm. uh, what that typically means is you believe there really is only one covenant that has ever existed. And right. if you And when you really get into the, to the Calvinism of it, as it was a covenant made between God the Father and God the Son to redeem the world. Um, but that there were two phases of it, which are, you know, pre-Christ and post-Christ, mm-hmm. old and new covenant. A dispensationalist would agree that there was old and new, but we have a more nuanced approach to that. Mm-hmm. And we don't really so much see the purpose of creation as redemption because, re- you know, the need for redemption came later. Not that God didn't know that in eternity past, etc. Um, but you know, it's still old and new covenant. Yes. Uh, the covenant in Eden and with Adam and Noah are also older right. than the new. But when we say the old covenant, we mean the law of Moses. And we say the new covenant, we mean specifically the, uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ, which, you know, it, we'll get into the details probably more next time or the time after that, that the new covenant is, has begun to be fulfilled, but has not completely been fulfilled yet. Mm-hmm. And that won't happen until Jesus returns. So that's what we mean by these terms. And we're going to go through a little bit of the history again, and we're going to camp out talking about the law, the law of Moses, and what it meant, what it was for, and how the transition took place. And that, of course, took place at the cross and the empty tomb after that, that these things changed. And this will get us into next time talking about Questions like, why don't Christians have to keep the food laws of Moses, et cetera? Important questions. Yes. And there are good answers, and in fact, very detailed answers from the Bible on that. So let's go ahead and, and dive right in. We're going to start with the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant begins with the Lord's call to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. He was known Abram at the time. And in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham leaves, he goes to the promised land. And he begins to live there, and, and God affirms that covenant with him a couple times. And uh, in Genesis 15, the Lord uh, passes through the, the animals that were sacrificed and, and formally, like legally in the, the terms of the day, affirms that covenant. And then uh, later on, through the sign of circumcision that is given, that is a mark of the covenant. And then again with Isaac, and, and when Isaac is bound, the Lord reaffirms his commitment again. So it's that that's the covenant made with Abraham, really the promise made to Abraham. Uh, this is different than the, the covenant made to Moses. 
uh, and we will explain the differences in a little bit because really both the old and the new covenants are subsets of the promise and the covenant made to Abraham. Hmm. And so hmm. th- that's an interesting, wow, we, let's interesting. camp out on that a little bit. <laughs> okay, yeah. Um, you know, so th- hang on. Th- yeah. This is where, the, the dis- as we said last time, dispensationalism is very good at being descriptive. Mm-hmm. It's not, it, it does flow from one to the next, but they're also kind of nested within each other. So let's talk about that, Zach, that the, the promise made to Abraham is really not the beginning, but it's it's a new beginning of what God was going to do with humanity. Because yeah. before we had sinned over and over and over again, and now God chose Abraham and made all these promises to him. So that's a new well, beginning. One of the last things that you see before that is like the Tower of Babel, right, where it says, well, you know, all this stuff is going on and men, you know, men begin to call on the name of the Lord. And like, it's, it's kind of this, the idea is, look, things are crazy. Everybody's split out and separated, and no, there's not yet been this renewal of the relationship between God and man, right? Like Noah was righteous. Noah made sacrifices. Noah walked with God. But there's the last big thing that people tried to do is make a tower and get up to heaven, and that wasn't good. <laughs> so so when God basically chooses a person from Ur of the Chaldees and says, I'm going to speak to you, and you're going to be like, we're going to speak, and you're going to be the friend of God and all these things, right? That's a, that is a big different thing. And that covenant that God made with Abraham, like you said, it's nested within it are promises both to God's chosen people, Israel, but also to all of the nations of the earth that are going to be blessed through them and about the Messiah. So really, like you said, if you can trace all of the blessings that we receive from both the old and new covenants back to the covenant that God made with Abraham. Yes. Yeah. And Paul makes that point. In Galatians, especially, right. really drives that point home uh, for people that were tempted to go back to the law of Moses. And what Paul is trying to tell them in that, and we're getting, kind of getting ahead of ourselves here, but that the law of Moses is over in mm-hmm. fulfillment of the promises made to Abraham. And he, he makes it very much out of the fact that the promise to Abraham came first and that Abraham never had to keep the law and that Abraham received the, the promise by faith alone, not through circumcision and so on. But so if we if we were to make a flow chart here, uh, you start with the, the proto-evangelium in Genesis 3.15 that God said, I will send the seed of woman to crush the head of the serpent. Right. I'm going to fix all this, right. right? You go to Adam, you go to Noah, and then God makes a covenant with Noah that says that's going to govern all the nations. And we talked about that, the times of ignorance, the the law of, of, this, of justice, right? That God says, this is how I'm going to govern the rest of the nations. But in order to bring redemption to those nations and fulfill Genesis 3.15, God picked one man, and that was Abraham. And God begins doing something different with the descendants of Abraham than he is the rest of the nations. He makes a covenant with him. But the purpose of fulfilling that covenant is to eventually bring all the nations under that covenant, to bring them all together into the family of Abraham. And this is the, these distinctions are so key because you can really run into trouble later on in the New Testament if you don't have a firm grasp on these things. So let's break this down, what, he, what the God said to Abraham. He said, I'm going to make, first of all, a great nation of you. I'm going to bless you. You're going to be my guy. And the, right. you already talked about the Tower of Babel, that the nations were scattered. That's where nations come from, is when God divided the languages and... Um, and we read in Deuteronomy 32, I believe it is, that God assigned uh, heavenly or angelic rulers over each of these nations. Mm-hmm. And then the the dispute over that passage is, were these benign angels that fell later, or was God giving them over, like Romans chapter 1, to these uh, these demonic rulers? In any case, we know the principalities and powers have fallen now. But God said, I'm going to choose one nation, and that nation is going to be mine. So, and 
God has kept that promise, hasn't he, Zach? That Israel is a great nation. The Jews are a great nation. This is why it's, and this is why <clears throat> you guys might be hearing some of this stuff with the dispensational and the covenant theology. And, and with a lot of theological questions, sometimes people will say, well, it, we're all describing the same thing. And it's, and in one sense, that's very true, right? Yes, that's true. You know, there are parts of covenant theology that are very helpful in understanding different things. There are parts of dispensational theology that are pointing towards the same things in scripture, but trying to describe it in a different way. But that doesn't mean that these things aren't important or that the theology around it isn't important. Let me explain why. The Abrahamic covenant is eternal. That is very, very important. Why? Because all the promises that are underneath it, the old and the new covenants, they are also eternal. If one of those is not, if you say, no, no, that, that that's not eternal, then it calls into question the other parts of the covenant. And we're yeah. going to talk about this more later on, but let's just, I need, we need to get this in our minds. When God says, I'm going to make your people as numerous as the sand of the sea, and this is going to be an eternal blessing to the nations, that, that, eternity of what God's talking about, that I will do this. It doesn't matter what you do, Abraham, even though you're kind of a mess up and, and you lie about your wife being your sister and all this stuff, right? But yet, here's what I'm going to do. That gives us hope, not just that God is going to actually do what he said for his people Israel, but for us, the Gentiles, right? Exactly. If, if, if that, if he doesn't keep his word to Abraham, if, if, if in the Old Testament, we don't see God keeping his word to Abraham, no matter what, and keeping his word to Israel, no matter what, why would he, we, why should we expect that he would keep his word to us, no matter what? Right. So, I mean, let's look at that. I mean, did God keep his word to Abraham? Israel is a great nation. Yes, they are. Yeah. Not only that, but the other nations that came from Abraham are also great nations. The Islamic nations. Mm. Those are great nations. Like the whole world knows who they are. Abraham's isn't that, isn't name is great, right? Isn't that interesting? Right. I never thought about that that way. That like the the fact that those other that the Arab nations, the Muslim nations, are powerful and large. That's actually comes from where God said, "I'm going to bless Ishmael." Yes, because I said exactly I would bless Ishmael. Where it comes from. Yeah, it's, it's he, he said he's going to yeah. be a wild donkey of a man. His yep. hand will be against everybody. And yep. Everybody's hand will be against him. That's rather descriptive. Yep. But, but God said, I'm but he said, bless but because him. he's your kid, I'm going to bless yeah. him. Mm -hmm. You know, even the Edomites, you know, the descendants of Esau, the yeah. descendants of Lot were blessed, and they even are going to have a role to play in the end times if you read your Bible carefully. Mm -hmm. But so I'm going to make you a great nation. That's he happened. says elsewhere, I'm going to multiply your descendants as the sand of the sea. Yep. That's like a, that's like an anti-Semitic trope, isn't it? Like that there's so many <laughs> yep. Jews. What are we going to do about them all? Yep. Nothing happened. you can do. They're God's people, right? right. Uh, he says that he would give them the land of Israel. And mm -hmm. that's a... That's a controversial one, isn't it? Yeah. That people, like you said, they want to say, yes, blessing, yes, prosperity. I mean, all around the world, the Jews are, are rich as well. They've been yeah. blessed, right? And they, but then you get to the land. No, no that one doesn't count. Yes, land. Yes, land, right? Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. that is, you cannot avoid that in the Old Testament. And we're, we're kind of going longer on this than I wanted to, but that God has promised Israel, this is your land. I'm mm -hmm. going to give it to your descendants and no one's going to take it from you. Yep. And so we, people want to, you know, I, I, I don't care for it when people want to ha have the discussion about why we believe Israel deserves to have the land of Israel, but they don't want to go to that theological and biblical place to have the conversation. This is why. There's that no reason. This, this is, is very important. God gave this to them. It is not a political, and you as Christians, let me speak to evangelical believers nowadays, you need to be aware of having the conversation around Israel in the political, geopolitical arena. That's not the point. Right. Political and geopolitically, Israel deserves. Look, it. I don't care about international. Like, I need to be careful when I say this. International law is and precedents and treaties are not the reason why Israel is in their land. They're in their land because God promised it to them. 
That's right. So, so for you to for you to say, well, look, I, I can prove to you that it's okay because of no, whether or not Israel was perfect and 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 you know sinless in retaking their land, they weren't because they're not. They're still not walking with their God. That does, has nothing to do with whether God's gonna keep His covenant. And, and yeah, that's a big sidetrack, but we'll talk about that more, I'm sure, later in later episodes. But all in all these things, we have to remember God makes the covenant. He keeps unconditional parts of the covenant, regardless of whether His people are gonna keep up their end of the bargain. That's gonna be very yes. important. The Lord <laughs> later the on. The Lord places it upon Himself, right, to keep the covenant. Now, yep. I'm going to say this. I, I cannot remember where this verse comes from. But there is a place in the Bible where the Lord rebukes the nations. He says, for you have treated my people like any other nation. Mm-hmm. And he says, that's um, why I'm going to judge. I think he's speaking to Edom at the time. But that, that's definitely yeah, it in there. it reminds me of like Jeremiah maybe. Or like where, one of the, where there's different oracles against the different yeah, places. Yeah, but the, but anyway, the Lord yep. says, because you've treated Israel like any other nation, yes. I'm going to judge you. So we have a theological Correct. objection to saying, well, they're just like every other nation. They're not. Right. And that doesn't mean they shouldn't be held to standards of righteousness, but you know, <laughs> this is their land, and God yeah. gave it to them, and the Lord promises to bless those that bless Israel. So that's that's something else we'll get to later. But that's that's the promise made to Abraham, right? Right. And the most important one is that in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Mm-hmm. The Lord says, "I'm going to use you." and your descendants to bless the rest of the world, every other nation. I'm choosing you not just to be yourself. And this is something that the Jews have historically fallen into in Scripture and after Scripture, (laughs) that we are blessed to be blessed. God, you are blessed to be a blessing to the rest of the world. Like the rest of the nations have have fallen away and lost the knowledge of God, and they're building the Tower of Babel. I'm going to choose you to solve the problem that began in the Garden of Eden. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what the Lord promised to do. So that's the promise made to Abraham. That is primary in the Bible. Now, within that, as we now get to what we're going to call the Old Covenant, and is typically called, years later, well, God promised Abraham. He said, your descendants are not going to have this land right away. What's going to happen is they're going to be servants in a land that is not theirs for 400 years Because the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So there's justice for you. The Lord said, the Amorites are bad that are living in the land now, but they are not so bad that they deserve my judgment yet. So God says, so I'm Mm -hmm. going to wait. But during that time, the children of Israel are going to be oppressed. Abraham had a son named Isaac. Isaac had a son named Jacob, whose name was later changed to Israel. So that's where you get the children of Israel from. Mm -hmm. And through the story of Joseph, they winded up in or wound up, I should say, in <laughs> Egypt, where there's a lot of really interesting history behind this, that uh, Egypt had been ruled by these people called the Hyksos kings, the Hyksos mm-hmm. dynasty, which were Semitic peoples, meaning they came from uh, the same land that Israel did. They came from the Levant, and they came down, and they ruled over Egypt for a couple generations. There was a revolution where native-born Egyptians took back the throne. Right. And what we believe happened, well, it's not in the Bible, but it's interesting history, is that they began, the, the, what it says in Exodus is, they'll rise up against us. There's too many of them. And it seems that part of what they were doing was to make sure that nobody but Egyptians ever rule Egypt ever again. It was like an ethnic fear thing. Yes. Like those those Semitic exactly people right. are going to come back and, and, yeah, which you can kind of see in scripture too. It's like, it's very much they're saying, they're not like us. We're going to control their children. Like we're going to keep them from getting more powerful than us by oppressing them and doing all these things. And it seems Mm -hmm. like through history, we can kind of pinpoint when that happened. So uh, they were enslaved. And unfortunately, that's been the story throughout history for the children of Israel is 
you know, mm. people that are scared and intimidated by them. And, you know, the Satan loves to stir up what what should be a proper and normal patriotism and ethnic pride into uh, hatred of God's chosen people. Yeah. So, well, you all know the story. Uh, God raised up a guy named Moses who was raised in Pharaoh's court and driven out of there to go be a shepherd for 40 years. And uh, the Lord appeared to him in the burning bush and said, you're going to be the guy to deliver my people out of the land of Israel. And he did. <laughs> and without getting into that whole great story, he did. And he led them to Mount Sinai where Zach... God appeared to them at Mount Sinai and forged a covenant with them. So just to, that's such a, a remarkable story and such an important piece of history. I mean, what, what happened there when they got to the mountain? We, we recently, we've been going through the, the Pentateuch in, in church here at Calvary Chapel, and, and you, you've been teaching through, um, so we've, we've gotten this story a couple times, right? And when we were in Exodus, you, you taught a message where you were talking about that what really, if you understand what really happened at Mount Sinai, God's throne, the physical place where God dwells, descended onto the mountain, which is wild. <laughs> which is why it caught like, fire. Yeah, like, like literally, <laughs> and and you explain that like what it's the same. The way it's described is the same as God's throne room is described by other people who have been in it. And which is also amazing because it's not these people weren't just making this up. This wasn't some all the stupid things that people say <laughs> that scholars say. It's like, no, this was an experience that people had and they recorded it. And it lines up with other experiences that people had who lived in totally different times of the same thing, which was that these people that looked up on the mountain and they saw God's throne room descending onto the mountain with smoke and fire to the point that it was so intense and experienced. They said, look, I don't know, dude. We're not going to go near the mountain. You you go up there and Moses walks up into God's throne room, which is now occupying Sinai, uh, which is intense. Um, and and w uh, Dr. Heiser, we talked about him again recently. He, he is with the Lord now, um, but he talks about this a little bit that God is literally he's God is meeting them like he's literally condescending to them in a way that they will understand. Right. Because the, for people back then, the place, a mountain was a place where you went to meet the gods. And so mm -hmm. God says, OK, look, come here. <laughs> like, I'm going to bring you to yeah. a mountain. Uh, you are actually going to meet me. And, and he comes down and now. Prepare he, to meet your God. Right. Literally. And and now that's people will twist that and say, see, it's just they're just like everybody else. No. What's always happened throughout history is God has used people where they're at. And he's met them and said, no, I'm going to I'm going to reach out to you and be your God and you're going to, you're going to have to come meet me. Right. And so I, I just think that's amazing that God is, he's willing to do that for them. Even yeah, the, the Lord said in Deuteronomy, he said, I showed up to you and scared you to death right? <laughs> so that you would listen to me and you would listen to Mo because that the people voluntarily said, Moses, I mean, the, if you don't know guys, I mean, the mountain caught fire. There were yeah, yeah, shouts and wild. thunders and lightnings and like, it's called a theophany an appearance of God. They weren't even allowed to get on the mountain, and they heard God himself declare the Ten Commandments to them out of the fire, and everybody panicked, and they said, Moses, from now on, you talk to God, and we'll just listen to you, <laughs> Right. which was what God wanted, because he wanted them to listen to Moses, and so in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses is like, you guys need to listen to me. You had the chance to be prophets, and you said, no, thank you, so you need to listen to me, because I was the one that God chose, mm. but in Exodus 19, right before that happened, the Lord told him in Exodus 19, he said, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians. I bore you on eagles wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. 
There's that's the offer. The Lord, right. it's so great. The Lord redeemed them first. And then he said, now that you're here, I want to make a deal with you. I already have this promise that I've made to Abraham, but I want to, I want to do something more. I want to do something beyond or within, shall we say, what I'm promising to Abraham. And he says, you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, which I'm about to outline for you. If you do that, you'll be my treasured possession. You'll be my chosen people. And you will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And the people said, yeah, we'll do it. Verse 8, they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And then the mountain caught fire, man. And he's, the Lord spoke to them. And Moses then went up on the mountain and received what we have in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. There's, you know, there's more to the story, but that's pretty much it. And uh, that included, I mean, a number of things. It included morality, like the Ten Commandments. It included a system of worship involving sacrifice mm -hmm. and the tabernacle. It involved plans food. for the tabernacle. Yeah, food yeah. laws. Right. Uh, what you could and couldn't eat, the way they were to dress, uh, ceremonies and rituals. I mean, civic laws for mm -hmm. how you were to handle murder, how you were to handle contract disputes, inheritance laws. God gave them this big, long list of rules. And that became what we call now the Old Covenant, the Torah, the Law of Moses. And in the New Testament, most of the time, when you see the word law, uh, unless the context is obvious, he's talking about that capital L, Law of Moses, the Torah, the Law of Moses. 613 or 630 something? something like that. So, like, yeah. Very specific commandments. Right. And that that's are, counting up all the individual commandments within the, the Torah. And why that's important is a lot of times when we hear the Old Covenant, we have been, I don't know where this comes from, but it's not correct. We are conditioned to think, oh, yes, the Ten Commandments. That's that's not correct. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the, that was the first piece of it. The, yes. The symbolic it's, it's like the preamble to the Constitution. Yeah. Like the it's entire great, law, but it's not all of it. The entire law stands or falls together. And this is made clear in the New Testament that if you break any one of those 613 or 630, I forget, commandments, you're breaking the whole law. So you have to realize that God is putting this whole thing together. And he's saying all of these from the way I want you to dress to what I want you to deal with, with murder, to how I want you to come and worship me, to, you know, all of these together are what my people will, will do. And that's, again, that's very important that it's it's a whole package and you don't get to pick and yeah, choose. Yeah, that'll come from, back later. <laughs> yeah, it will. So there are so, folks that want to do that. That's important. Also, yeah, I think it's important, like you said, that there's, maybe let's get into why. So what's the point of that? God's yeah. having this, God's having this interaction with the people. He's saying, look, I want you to do this, right? Why did God do that? What, what, they already had the covenant with Abraham. Why do they need this? Well, this is within the covenant of Abraham. Right. Remember that Paul, Paul makes that very clear that God is not abrogating the covenant with Abraham. In right. fact, you can't do that. Paul says like you, you can't get rid of something Forever. that was made beforehand. Yeah. Right. So, uh, he's, this is within the promise, which remember, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to prosper you. I'm going to give you your land. And through you, I'm going to bring about the promise, the solution that I promised in the book of Genesis in the garden of Eden. So this is within that. But what, what God is doing is way more complicated. Abraham was just told, follow me and do what I say and circumcise your children. Mm -hmm. Now it is, it's way more complicated. It's a different covenant, although it was within the previous one. But there are several reasons that Lord did this, and we're going to camp out here for a while. So the first reason the Lord did this is to reveal what righteousness is. This is so important for you to know that good and evil existed prior to the law of Moses. 
There are some who think that <laughs> yes. things were only yep. good or bad once God said them. Like, And until God said this, then there was no problem with it. That is simply not the case. Mm. Uh, you read through the book of Genesis, and the Lord has no problem calling people out for being unrighteous. Uh, this is the book of Romans, chapter 1, talks about that we all know enough by the conscience God has given us and the testimony of general revelation. We all know enough to at least attempt to live righteously and to call out to God for help. But as you know, you mentioned the Tower of Babel, the flood, all of that, the sin that has come upon the world, the conscience of man has been totally corrupted. And what we believe is right and wrong has been totally eroded. And and now who's to say? Well, God says, I'm going to give you a law that shows you what's good. Yeah. And I'm going to definitively write it down so that you know what is good. So not that every specific commandment, Jesus would make this clear, he says, you know, keeping the Sabbath, it, the, the the universal law is not thou shalt not work on Saturday. Universal law is that you are to rest and right. not overwork yourself. Like there, there, there's laws behind it. But I mean, it's kind of necessary then, but it's necessary now, isn't it, Zach? I mean, like the, there's no, we have no standard for what's right and wrong anymore in our culture. And we're kind of living out that Nietzschean nightmare where we wiped away the horizon and Yes. Is it going well for us? No, it isn't. And you know that that's the that this is the part I think sometimes that even now people are starting to realize and we've talked together a lot Tyler about how it's this is not enough. It is not enough to follow Jesus just because it rightly orders your life <laughs> or to be a Christian just because there you know there's some good traditions and some good principles there. However, it is part <laughs> yeah. Like you don't do it just because it makes your life better, but it does. Right. God wants to. And this is part of the relationship. It, God wasn't only coming to them and saying, now I want you to be a good, tidy, orderly place with good citizens. So I'm giving you these laws. However, if you read the law code that God gave them, it is a reasonable law code. It does not line up with modern sensibilities. Mm-hmm. <laughs> However, that does not make it. You could live in that place. It would be a place where there would be legal contracts carried out, where there would not be chaos and disorder. It would be maybe a little rough for your standards as a, as a 2023 American, but that doesn't mean it's, it, it would be a righteous place. And even that is to correct you, right? hundred percent. And you have to remember that that was not true back then. We, we have this weird view of history where we have to understand God was saying, you need to do it this way because this is the way I want it done against all of the ways that things were being done. You've talked about this constantly when we're studying the Pentateuch, when we read sometimes, oh, that, you know, treat war captives this way. And we say, oh, that's so barbaric. I don't think you fully understand what barbarism is. God was calling them to a incredibly high standard yes. within their day and saying, no, you won't do that. You're going to do it my way. And that goes all through the law. So God is revealing. He, he's saying, I want, and we, this will go to the, the another point we're going to make in a second, but God is revealing a nation saying, this is what my people will act like. This is what my people will even literally look like so that the other nations can see this is who I am. Right. And and hopefully so they will want to be a part of that. Maybe this goes to the to the governing step which is kind yeah, of the next one. Yeah. I I just want to <clears throat> say briefly here. I mean as our nation is you know leaning more and more towards returning to a state of heathenism. Sure. You know maybe not paganism like as in we're worshiping false gods but just godless and we're trying to reinvent morality. I mean, the, this is where the law becomes helpful because mm-hmm. Paul said in the New Testament uh, that the law is not intended for those that are righteous, but for those that are unrighteous, uh, that the the law is the law is to be used to correct. It's a plumb line. Yes, as, yeah. a, as a plumb, exactly right. So 
uh, I'm going to pull this verse up here. First Timothy chapter one, um, where it says, we know that the law is good. If one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient for the ungodly and sinners for the unholy and profane. And he's, he's saying the reason for the law is to show people what's good. Now, and we live in a day where we need to be shown what is good. And the law stands as a reproach to us. So when people say things like, we can't use the book of Leviticus to say that homosexuality is wrong, you absolutely can and should say that. Because the the law exists to show what's right. Mm. And as we're going to get into, it's not so much the specific prohibitions, but the reasons for them are good. So, I mean, the way we handle sexuality must be corrected by the law of Moses. We want to talk about justice, but it seems like nobody has any idea what that even means. If if you're a postmodernist and you don't believe in words and you believe that things can be whatever you want, well, just define it yourself. But God's already defined what it looks Mm -hmm. like. And and also to that point, like everyone is corrected by the law. You will not find, I don't care where in society you look, you won't find a group of people or a party or anything that doesn't come to God's law and say, now, wait a second. You, you I don't know, know about that one. Yeah, exactly. That happens with everybody. You, you know, there's some people, the people who are super excited about, oh, you know, the law provides justice for the poor and stuff. And then you get to some of the other prohibitions in the law and they say, well, I don't I don't think that's right. I think that's regressive. Some people who are super excited about those, you know, prohibitions on sexuality and stuff. And then you get to, well, sacrificially make sure that the poor people and the alien in your country are taken care of. They say, well, hang on a second. Well, God's law was a whole piece. And, and we talk about the government part. He, th- God was saying, this is my attitude towards how a place should be governed. And it was supposed to confront you. Yes. It was supposed to make you say, well, okay, I am not righteous or holy because God, who is righteous and holy, who I saw on the mountain, is telling me that he cares about how I deal with the stranger that's in my midst, how I, how, what I do with my body, how I treat my wife. God cares about all these. And he's so powerful that I've physically seen with my eyes that I have to now pay attention to what he's telling me to do with all these things. Yeah, so that's the first reason uh, is that we're going to talk about today is to reveal righteousness, mm-hmm. to kind of preserve the knowledge that everybody should have and should know. But God's like, let me just write it down. Yeah. <laughs> and But the second one you've already hit on is that he gave the law to govern Israel. And this is, this is helpful when you're interpreting the law of Moses mm-hmm. as a Bible student because we can come to the Bible sometimes like it's the I Ching or like it's a it's a you know chicken soup for the soul. Like it's just to give you 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 pull out a verse and it's gonna give you a good nugget for the day. That's not how the Bible was written. Right. The book of the law, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, was written as the actual civic code for the nation of Israel. Right. That it was written for judges and kings and council members and elders to read and determine what ought to be done. It includes a lot of religious law. It includes a lot of, like I said, civil laws. And and that was God was building a nation. Mm-hmm. It was saying, I'm gonna, like mm-hmm. you said, Deuteronomy 32. I'm gonna have every nation against my nation. I pick one guy from him. I'm gonna build a nation that's gonna cover the whole world. I, this is how I want this nation to be governed. As you go into the promised land, these are the laws I want you to follow. These are the penalties I want you to assign for various crimes that are committed. This is how I want you to do taxes. This is how I want you to do worship. This is how I want the king to conduct himself. And if we don't get that context, we can start to misinterpret it. Oh yeah. Well, and first of all, this will make you feel better if you've ever really struggled to get through those first five books especially the, the second four of the, of the Pentateuch, right? You know, in your in your devotionals, and you're like, well, I feel bad because it's the Bible. Well, yeah, it was written for a different purpose. This isn't like the Psalms, 
right? No. This is not devotional reading. It doesn't mean you shouldn't read it at all. I'm not saying that. In fact, some of our best times at church, if we've been studying through this and seeing the the foreshadowings of Jesus and all this stuff, it's it's there for a reason. It's not an accident that it's in the Bible. But you do have to understand it's a different kind of thing than you know Matthew. And, and, and if you don't understand that, you, you're right. You're going to misinterpret. You're going to do things like ripping out one of these 600 and some commandments and saying, well, this, the Bible says this. Yes, it does. Where in the Bible does it say that? And right? why did it say why, that? And why did it say that? Right. And people make mistakes on both sides. People will either say, oh, well, that's in the law. So it doesn't matter. Untrue. Yeah, <laughs> that is not untrue. true. You simply can't do that. And we're going to talk about the interaction that we have with this. But you also can't say, Oh, well, you know, that's in the law. So that's what we should do now. Or that's in the law. So this is this is how you must keep the Sabbath because the Israelites kept the Sabbath this way. That's also not true. Yeah. And we're going to get into the reasons for that. Some right. too at the end here. And more but important to time. note, like you said, it's it's, yes. it's like the closest I don't know, I'm trying to think of a it, it would be like reading a combination of the U.S. tax code and, you know, the, the Constitution and your local municipalities legal code all yeah. bound together in a book. That's what it was for. When it, later on in the Old Testament, there are kings where the law was forgotten and there are kings who are instructed to because Jesus, God said, you have to if you're a king, you have to copy this out. Yeah, you the, have the kings to have were required to have a handwritten copy of the law that they wrote for themselves. For themselves, because because not just to put it on their hearts, but also because this was the law, and they it was yeah the actual law. Yeah, the <laughs> idea was look, you you have to have this near you, so you when you're making a decision, you're not just winging it, you're consulting what God said about these circumstances. And if you look at these these laws that God gave them, they're so reasonable in so many cases. Mm-hmm. It's like. This is how I want you to handle poor people. This is how I want you to handle rebellious children. This is how I want you to going through each aspect of life. And if you read through the the Torah, if you read through the law, the Lord is mostly giving representative examples. He's saying this is the kind of thing that will come up, and this is the kind of penalty it deserves. It's important to remember that the judges would have had uh, discretion. They would have been able to increase yeah. or reduce. The, so there's a lot of legal principles that are laid out, but there are several specific examples that God lays down. But you can pick on a lot of these things. That that's just so reasonable. Here's one. If you falsely accuse somebody of something yeah. <laughs> and you sue them and take them to court and it comes to find out you were lying, the penalty that you would face is the penalty that you wanted for the other person. I was like, that, that sure makes an awful lot of sense. Also, if you were going to bring criminal proceedings against somebody, you would have to be the one to enact the penalty. So if you wanted the death penalty for somebody, you might have to be the one to swing the sword yourself. And I look at that and I think about our legal system and how people are so willing to just, they know they don't really have a case, but I'll take my shot, see what I can get out of it. Or how we're so detached from the actual execution of the law as citizens. In the Lord's community, you were part of that. You weren't just on the jury, like you were the, the one that actually had to, you know, swing the sword or levy the tax or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you had a debt, you know, that had to be paid, you that's where you you would have to, you know, sell your own self into slavery for a time. Indentured servitude would probably be the word we would use today. But you see a lot of these things. Like don't 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 harvest your field to the corner so that the poor have something to do. It's great because this way the poor are taken care of. They're never going to get rich that way, but they'll be able to subsist. Uh the 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 legal laws related to uh, the cleanliness, like, uh, you know, don't 
use the bathroom inside the camp. <laughs> yeah. Take it outside. And we yeah. go, well, who would ever need that? Well, They need pe- it around the world yeah. still. I mean, yeah, you'd be yeah. surprised. It, God's laws was em- eminently reasonable. He was governing a nation to be a, as our, our number third point here, to be a light to the nations. Yes. This is something we mentioned, that when you get to the time of Jesus, they had totally forgotten this point, that they were not just to be the best nation. Their job was to be a light to the rest of the nations, <laughs> yeah. to be that city set upon a hill. Uh, that's That comes from the Old Testament. That yeah. Israel was supposed to be the, the signal to the whole world. This is where God lives. This is what he likes. This is what he thinks. And to that end is where you get a lot of the clothing laws, where you get the, the food laws, where you get the Sabbath. Like These were intended to separate and distinguish the people, just like the priests had distinguishing markers in the land of Israel because Israel was to be a nation of priests to the rest of the world. They were supposed to be slightly weird. Yes, I mean, exactly. Just honestly, that. I mean, and, and that also is helpful when you read the, the, you read the law and you come across something and you're like, you say, that's weird. Well, why, why does he want that? Well, for some of those laws, the reason is that it's there, not all of them, right? Some of them are God saying, look, it, it is evil for you to murder. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't want you to not murder just to stick out from, from the murderers. I, I, it's, it's wrong. It's an abomination to my character, but there's also some laws where you read it and you say, okay, I can't think what that has to do with God's character. He, he just said you had to sow the field. Couldn't be two different types of, 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 you know, crop. Why? Well, it's entirely possible that God is just saying, look, I want, even when someone takes a walk down your road, I want your fields to look different. I want your yeah. clothes to look different. I want the edge of your beard to look different. Why? Because when someone interacts with you from outside my nation, I want them to recognize a difference. So, and when we talk about them being a light to the nations, we have to remember the darkness of the nations at the time where they God is sending them back to a place that's been given over to wicked principalities where there's where we believe scripturally that there was some attempt by the enemy to restart the whole like Nephilim thing <laughs> where he's you know, it was going on in yeah, the promised lands. Where, where That's why they were ordered to wipe them out and not to spare anybody. So you're talking I mean you want to talking like Lord of the Rings terms here. Like he's saying, look, you're going to retake a very dark land filled with very dark people where, where the enemy is attempting to breed horrors mm-hmm. right and and in going back there i want you to be so different in every way that if any people are st- if there's any remnant of people there like a like a rahab who would look at you and say wait a second that's different they, they you, i want them to see that so that they want to escape where they are and come to you and we would see that you see this happen in the old testament people would interact with the israelites and they'd say well look over there if i'm poor over there at least i can eat and that's not happening over here, right? Over there, right. if somebody gets murdered, it gets handled. That's not happening over here. Over there, your God asks these sacrifices of you. Our God asks that we burn our children. I want to be over there. The, the classic examples of these in the Bible, you see the Queen of Sheba who comes to Solomon. Yes, yeah. That story is intended to be a celebration of the fact that Israel is in the land. Right. They have a king. They have a temple. They're prospering. They're keeping the law. Somebody comes from the farthest reach of the globe, comes and sees them and acknowledges this is the way it's supposed this to is be good. done. Yeah, right, exactly. uh, you see Nebuchadnezzar, you mm-hmm. see Cyrus, that the Lord is, is getting these kings to bow and worship the Lord. And this was always the goal. Right. And this is why if you look at the, uh, the, the law, there were provisions made for somebody to become one of the family of Israel. Yep. And this is something that to this day, Jews discourage. Yes. 
They discourage you becoming a Jew, which is so strange because the Lord is like, this was always the plan. It's for all as many nations as possible to enter into my covenant. And th- this is related to the way that they would keep slaves even. Mm-hmm. That if you kept a slave that was an Israelite, they would be released every seven years. Every slave would be released. If you took a captive from another nation, they would not be. But the people from the other nation always had the opportunity to be circumcised and baptized and become part of the nation of Israel. It was to incentivize that, that the Lord did it, that you can become one of my people and be free. This is such an important piece that that we can miss and that Israel never lived up to. Correct. And and this is something that God had even told Abraham. And if you go back to the story of Genesis and you keep this global perspective, it was a tragedy that they never did that. That God goes, all the nations are corrupt. Let me pick one to preserve the knowledge of the truth. And then they became so selfish that not only were they influenced by the other nations, but that they always failed to include the others. Well, and prideful, right? It's like God God picks them and they look at... I mean, essentially, yeah. yeah, I don't know another way. Gentile to... dogs is what they were yes, called. Yes, they would say, yeah, by the time you get to when Jesus is coming to the rabbis, that there were there were sayings that were floating around in rabbinical, you know, writings that were like, I, you know, every day I wake up and I thank God that I wasn't born, you know, a woman, a, a, a dog or a Gentile, right? Yeah. Which is, so these are the, this is the hard-hearted attitude of God's people by the time Jesus shows up. And the, when, when you see what they were originally intended for, the, the tragedy of the, that they immediately took that and became prideful. They said, God must have selected us. And Jesus even says, he's like, I picked you because I picked you. I picked you because yeah, you were small. It's even in Deuteronomy. Yeah, the Lord yeah. said that to Moses. That's right. I picked you because you were small and nothing, not because you were great. And they immediately got this attitude of, well, we must be pretty special because we're God's people. And therefore, don't come over here and participate in our blessing. Don't come over here and, and try and get what we have. This is our promised land. Forgetting that God said, when you get in the land, whose vineyards are those? Who's, who's, whose land is that? I took that from you someone. You didn't build that? Yeah, exactly. God's <laughs> saying, I took that from someone and gave it to you. I'll take it from you if you don't have the heart. And he did. I'll take it from you if you don't have the heart I want. So this light to the nations thing, those first two, the revealing of righteousness and to have that government, Israel kind of did okay with those, maybe you could say. Like, yes, they, they, they carried out the law mostly, never perfectly, of course, but they mostly tried to carry out the law. Especially after the exile. They finally did get it. Right. They mostly tried to govern, you know, the way that God asked. But the light to the nations thing, there's very few little glimmers in the Old Testament of them getting that right. Right. was or in that, history. And it was that, yes, even worse in history. And it was that hard-heartedness that often led to them being judged, among other things. Yeah. Um, and that gets us into the next one. So tied to the light to the nations is, is similar but very different. And this is the most important piece that they were to be a light to the nations. But it was also for them, too. The fourth reason for the law was the knowledge of God. To preserve the knowledge of God. And this is now specifically moving. We did we talked a little bit. You know, the, the governing Israel was related to the civil code. The light to the nations bit was related to the, you know, the ceremonial code, right? Like the, you know, don't eat this food, don't dress like that. But when you get into the religious code, the third piece here is the knowledge of God. God says, I'm going to give you a system of worship by which you may legitimately worship me, be accepted by me, have my presence among you. That, that the whole world had lost. We'd lost it since the Garden of Eden, that God was with his people. Right. And then you saw that with the flood where the Lord goes, I'm not going to fight with you people. I'm not going to strive with you forever. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so what the Lord did is he gave over the other nations to their own 
spiritual rulers. But he said, for the children of Israel, I'm going to dwell among you. And this is one of my favorite subjects to talk about. Uh, This is the whole point of the book of Leviticus, Mm -hmm. that the Lord is going to dwell in the midst of the people. And you get the the lesson very quickly in in the law. The presence of God is dangerous. Right. If you get in the presence of God and you are not clean and you are not worthy, you're not holy, you're going to be struck dead. Yeah. And this happened several times. Yes. And, and the Lord is saying, but I want to dwell among you. And what a picture of sin, right? That sin separates us from mm-hmm. God. We can't even be next to God anymore because of sin. So what God does is he says, I'm going to get a system here where I will give you a system of sacrifices and ceremonies so that you can approach me, that the blood of the lamb and the bull and the goat and the turtle dove will cover your sins for a time so that you are able to come to me and worship me. And this is where you get the temple, which came out of the tabernacle with the courtyard where people could come and worship, where you had the the holy place where the priests would go and minister with the showbread and the lampstand and the altar of incense, all the way to the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant dwelt, where God's very presence was. That the purpose of the law was so that God could dwell among his people and that they could learn God's presence. And there are people throughout the Old Testament that took advantage of that and knew God. That's the heroes of the Bible that we have. And I mean, somebody like David, right? I well, love the story. It's so sad that you see that it seems like they were kind of few and far between sometimes. That maybe there was a lot of people that just, oh, yeah. We, in fact, you see this in all the, when the prophets start, you know, taking Israel to task. They're like, you guys have been doing all the stuff. But your heart's not in it. You're not coming to meet me. You're coming to, because this is the, you know, I got to pay my dues over here. And then I'll also go to this shrine for Moloch over here. Cause he'll do this. Like you, your heart isn't here. Right. And yet you have people like David where David's just like, man, you know, David's like this emo poet where he's just writing song after song of like, I just want to get back to, you know, God's presence. And I just want to be in Jerusalem. And yeah, he's, I love those songs, he's taking man. advantage of, like you said, he's taking advantage of what was always there for them, that they could always, there were parts in the temple that you could just go into. And that's what David is saying. He's like, I just want to, that's where I want to be, man. I want to be hanging out in that, in the presence of the Lord as close as I can get. Maybe I can't get all the way there, but I want to be as close as I can get. That was yeah. the experience that God was literally purchasing for them prefiguring what jesus was going to do right by the blood of all these sacrifices and it was like think about when you're saying that it, this was supposed to be different than all the other nations they were supposed to be able to go to a place where they could say yes our our god's presence is there which was not a thing that you know the other nations were experiencing. Yeah, I love the picture of David, man, out yeah, in yeah. the field because the lord said i found somebody a man after my own heart right I mean, the guy that thinks like me and gets me and we're, we're together and right. what David was doing before, I mean, he was in, in a small town of Bethlehem. He was the youngest of eight sons out in the field, watching the sheep. But while he was out there, the thing that delighted him was the presence of God right. and the knowledge of the Lord and the fact that there is a God in Israel and he's singing, right? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And God goes, that's it. That's mm-hmm. what I'm after. Right. Make him king. And David did become king. And he said, wrote those songs, as the deer pants for the water, so Mm -hmm. my soul longs after you. When shall I appear before my God? When can I come back to the tabernacle and worship again? And David was the one that brought the tabernacle back to Jerusalem. And David was the one that prepared it so that his son Solomon could build the temple. You could know God. 
I mean, right. guys like Elisha and Elijah who knew God. Elisha was more surprised when God didn't tell him what was about to happen than when right. he did. Uh-huh. When Moses would go out to the tent of meeting and the, the Shekinah glory of God would move to the tent to meet with Moses. And the, the sad thing is, Joshua said that I'm never leaving this tent, man. Right, I'm going right, to right. live here. Like I'm going to be in God's presence all the time. But all the rest of them would just see what Moses did and be just be happy that he was doing it. And but mm. that that's what God was preserving is true. Oh, that'll preach worship. It? Oh yes, man. <laughs> you it, know, it, like it's it'll the, the tent was always there. Anybody could have gone into the tent. Most people were content to say, "Oh, good, someone else is meeting with God for me. I'll just make sure that He does that." And then there was one or two people that said, "Well." I'm going. Are you locking the tent when you're going? No, then I'm going to be here in the tent, you know? That's like yeah. when Elisha uh-huh. wouldn't leave Elijah. When Elijah was yeah, yeah. going to be right. taken up to heaven, and he kept on telling him, you wait here. He goes, not on your life, pal. Right. I, the refusal to be deterred mm-hmm. is such an important part of knowing God. And can I just say that to y'all? Just, yeah, yeah. You're here listening to the podcast. Obviously, you're trying to learn more about the Bible. You're trying to learn more about God. Don't just take in information, you mm-hmm. guys. You need to have a personal knowledge of God, that a, a, an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. If all you have is the knowing God through knowledge of theology and the experience of the church, as great as those things are, guys, God wants to know you. He's always wanted to know you. He walked with Adam in the cool of the day in the Garden of Eden. He has done everything he could to preserve the knowledge of God. Take advantage of it. Right. So that that's the yeah. fourth piece here is to know God, that God wanted his people to be able to worship him, that there is one place in the world where the true and living God was exalted and lifted high. Right. And if you want to look at a map, it was at the center of the world too, which is pretty interesting. Right. Think about that. Okay. And here's the yeah. fifth piece, which will transition us into the new covenant. The fifth reason for the old covenant was to lead us to Christ. And this is a, this is a controversial one if you're not a Christian. But what was the law supposed to be? Galatians 3.24, Paul explains. He says, the law was our guardian. You could also translate that schoolmaster Mm -hmm. until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. Paul tells us that the law was always working towards its telos. It was always working towards its purpose, its destination. And in fact, he says Christ was the end of the law. Romans 10.4 is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. That the law was always building towards Jesus. Now, this is the exact fact, that rhymed, (laughs) that makes a person a Christian. That you believe that Jesus Christ was the promised Messiah like was promised in Genesis 3, like was promised in Genesis 12 to Abraham, and like was being foreshadowed in the Old Covenant, that the Old Covenant was always building to Jesus. How so? The first way is, well, we've been revealing righteousness. We've revealed a good set of laws. We've revealed a set of worship. But as you came to the temple every year, and you had to bring your sacrifice for sins... And every year you had to go and, and cleanse yourself. And every every week you had to, oh, I did it again. I'm going to have to pay a, bring another right. goat to the temple. It was supposed to make I, you dissatisfied. Yeah, you were supposed to realize I can't keep this thing. Right, right, right. You're supposed to look at the law and realize there is no way I'm supposed to never covet. <laughs> right. right. I, how am I supposed to never covet? Especially when you see what Jesus said, that who told us, no, it's not just even about what you do. It's about your heart. 
It's not just about not murdering. It's about not having murder in your heart through hatred. It's not just about not committing adultery. It's not about even having lust in your heart for another woman that's not your wife. And by the time of Jesus, you you could have looked back at hundreds of years of your own people's history and said, well, we we definitely even we can't <laughs> we can't do keep this. it. Yeah, look how at, are we supposed to be a light to the Gentiles? Right, our, light to the Gentiles. Our best kings are kind of scumbags. <laughs> like yeah, our, even our, David and yeah, Solomon. Our best dudes are are they've got problems. Our worst guys are are absolutely horrible, just as bad as the other nations. We've we've you know we've gotten judged and God has removed us from the land because we're not doing it right. We you know n- this isn't working on any level. If you were just looking at it from from you know the outside, you'd say none of this is working. None of God's covenant is doing the thing that He said it was going to do. What are we going to do now? What they Should did in the attitude was they started to build up their own traditions yes. and keep those instead of the law. Yes, and they began to say, you know, well, don't back up your chair in the dirt on Sabbath day and right. tear the toilet paper on Friday before you know yeah. the day comes, and don't start your car and don't light. You can light a fire on Friday, but you can't light it on Saturday, you know, because that's reworking. And they began to keep those things, and they still are. But when Jesus showed up, he just he took a sword right to the heart of all that stuff. He goes, mm-hmm. you're teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And Jesus was not innovating when he did that. Those of you that are listening that are curious about religions, or maybe you are Jewish yourself, mm-hmm. and you're wondering about this, well, that's not what the law says. Jesus said, no, no, no. Jesus was right in line with all the other prophets including Moses, mm. when he taught this. there I, I've heard people say things like, well, the Old Covenant never said you have to think and feel the right way. You just had to do the right things. That's not true because right in the Ten Commandments, he says, do not covet. That's an internal thing. and But I mean, look at Isaiah who said, shut the doors of the temple. Right, right. I, I'm, I just, I hate your new moon feast. I hate your, your sacrifices. Just stop. Malachi, who said, I wish one of y'all had the guts just to shut the door of the temple. Just stop until you get it right. You think, you know, has the Lord as great a desire, Samuel said, in sacrifices as he does in obedience? To obey is better than sacrifice. This has always been the theme of the old covenant, that it's your heart that matters most. Right. And that's what Jesus was teaching. But as we get ahead of ourselves, it was to show you, number one, you can't keep this law. And number two, the only option is for you to cry out for mercy. And that's why David was such a man after God's own heart. Because even right. when he sinned with Bathsheba and killed his friend Uriah and lied about it and made himself look really good after the worst thing he ever did, Psalm 51 he says, let me, let me pull this one up. He says, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. And that's so, I mean, that's Old Testament, man, right? right. He says, uh, Psalm well, because 51, there wasn't, verse 16, he says, you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. It's always been about the heart, and that's been the only means of salvation. You'll never keep the law perfectly. Your only hope is to cry out to God for help. And this is what the law was cultivating in the hearts of the people until the Messiah would come, right. until Christ would come. Well, that's that's isn't I've heard this taught, I'm not I'm not sure, but isn't that because like at, at some point his David's sins were what was called like high-handed sins, where it's like well, there course, wasn't yes. there wasn't a sacrifice. There like was no was, sacrifice for intentional, willful sin. Right. So he's realizing like I what what do you mean a sacrifice? Like there's nothing I can do. I have to just hope that God will will look on me with mercy. Right. So yeah, it's it's the the point of the law, and Paul makes this all clear. Is like, it was a schoolmaster. It was showing you you can't. You go through the school of the law, and you get to the end, and you say, well, I failed. 
Like I cannot keep this. I, I get a failing grade. And this is why uh, this is, becomes an important point for many other things. As dispensationals, we look at this and we say, yes, because that's what happens every time God makes the covenant with us. We can't, we can't keep it. ever we break keep it. it, right? Because we're humans. And so we are expecting that we see this same pattern through all dispensations. Right? Why would we expect God's God's literal people, where God gave them a perfect country with a perfect law and his literal presence dwelt there and they couldn't keep it. So that should teach us something, just as a lesson that we learned from the Old Testament, that should teach us something about whether we can expect to perfectly keep these things in our own time, in our own church, in our own nation. That doesn't that doesn't teach us that it does righteousness doesn't matter. It just teaches us that, hey, if if your theological system revolves around getting it right, God gave you three quarters of the Bible to tell you you can't get it right. That's why I'm making that's why I'm making this new covenant for you. Yes. You know? And what did the Lord teach us? How do you get your sin covered? Right. A blood sacrifice. Right. That's how it's done. This has been... So the Lord took a thousand years plus to teach this lesson. You are not righteous. Right. Your only hope is to cry out to me for mercy. But what is required in order to provide that forgiveness is a blood sacrifice. But the question becomes, what kind of sacrifice can we offer to God to cover our own sins? Right. Now, you know where we're going with this, I'm sure, but let's just stop a minute. We talk about the Old Covenant now. What do we mean when we say the New Covenant? Because the Lord was, what I'm, we're trying to demonstrate here is that this is always where it was going. This was always building to this. There are several passages in the Old Testament. I'm just going to read the two classic ones that talk about when the Lord does something new. Starting with Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31, starting verse 31. He says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, mm -hmm. when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers right. on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. So he says, I'm going to make a new covenant different than the old one. Verse 33, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor or each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. So there's a new covenant coming. The Lord said to Jeremiah, he said, it's going to be different from the old one because it's not going to be external. It's going to be internal. Mm -hmm. I'm going to forgive your sins and I'm going to change your heart. You track with me on this one? New covenant that is internal. I'm going to forgive your sins and change your heart. Ezekiel 36, same thing. That's another classic passage here. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land and I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, and from your idols I will cleanse you. There's that forgiveness. And I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and be careful to obey my rules. So the Lord is telling them, I'm going to restore you. They're in Babylon at the time. I'm going to restore you, and then I'm going to cleanse you. I'm going to forgive your sins. That's what the cleansing was. And I'm going to give you a new heart. So again, a change where I'm going to change your heart and teach you something new. 
and this was all prophesied. There's other places. I mean, Isaiah 53, right? That that there's going to be one who's going to take all of our iniquity upon himself. Yeah. And uh, Zach, these new covenant passages were tied to the doctrine of the Messiah. Can you talk about that a little bit and what that meant from the Old Testament? Yeah, there was. It was already becoming clear to the Jews that okay at some point this is going to get fixed <laughs> like because you can see all through the old testament god keeps talking about he's saying i'm going to fix i'm going to bring someone who's going to fix this right and and you know good biblical theology shows us that that's kind of the whole point of the old testament is 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 god saying i'm th- this is for now this is this is to you know this is an earnest this is a down payment this is a placeholder but I am going to fix this I'm going to bring my servant is is a phrase that gets used a lot especially in Isaiah and stuff that's going to fix this now the Jews looked at this and they expected they they saw many many different promises of this servant and so a lot of times they smashed them together let's be kind to them sometimes the promises were all smashed together about at some point the servant is going to come and give you a physical kingdom and he's going to fix all the things that have ever happened wrong in the world and and those promises are right next to the fact that he's going to suffer and die for sins and so often the jews as they were looking to the messiah they did not untangle those promises their expectation was in smiting our enemies and fixing all of our civic wrongs he's going to fix the ills of our of our land right but it's easy for us to see now, right? We can look back and we can see, come on, disciples, like get it right. Jesus was doing this then and that now. But at the time, that wasn't easy for them to see. But yes, they were looking forward. Absolutely. And you even They're see looking that, for a king. Yeah, yeah. And you even see that in, mm-hmm. in um, you know, Anna and Simeon who are just waiting in the temple. Why? Why would they be wait, for, waiting for what? They were waiting for the Messiah. They were yeah, praying. The consolation of Israel, they, they it were, says. And, and, and they were said that they were hoping that they wouldn't die before they could see the, he says, my eyes have seen your salvation, which you will prepare in the sight of all people. So they, they were they were hoping that they were going to make it to that point where they could say, OK, you're God has actually done the thing. It you has promised begun. To do. Right. Yeah. And so, the, yes, the, they were they were looking towards this. Yeah. The, the Old Testament. I mean, even starting with Genesis three, verse 15, mm-hmm. he said mm-hmm. the seed of woman. Is gonna, there's going to be a guy who's going to be born and is right. going to crush the head who's of the that? serpent. What's that going to do? Yeah. Uh, the Lord told Abraham, he said, in you all the nations of the world shall be blessed. And Paul emphasizes that. He says in Galatians 3.16, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring, or to seed is the mm-hmm. is the literal translation there. It does not say to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring who is Christ. So Paul is saying even Abraham's promises were tied to the son of Abraham who is going to bring about the the all the promises. David was promised that your son is you're gonna have a son mm-hmm. who's gonna sit on the throne forever. Isaiah talks about the servant of God with a capital S. Malachi talks about that Elijah is going to come. And all of this was tied up in the Hebrew word Mashiach, which means anointed one. Mm-hmm. They were looking for a king to come who was going to set everything right and fulfill all the promises, which is exactly what the new covenant was to be about. That when the new covenant is fulfilled and the kingdom comes, the king will have come. Well, knowing all of that, here's where you get to the Last Supper in Luke chapter 22. Jesus has been ministering for three years, and they are asking Jesus over and over again, are you the Christ, the Messiah? Are you the guy? Are you the one? And Peter knew, and there was uh, other Jesus revealed to the woman at the well and others that, yeah, it's me. Nathaniel knew. Mm -hmm. Uh, Might have been Bartholomew. Might be the same guy. But the people were saying, this might be the guy. Is he the guy? We don't know. And as we read the story, we know that Jesus was to be the man. But when you get to to the Last Supper, the night before Jesus was crucified, Jesus sits down with them and it says he took a cup 
When he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, after they had eaten, he said, This cup... This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So Jesus, while they're celebrating Passover, which was the commemoration when God delivered them out of Egypt, when their, the angel of death passed them over because the blood was on the door. He says, this cup represents my blood, which is the new covenant. So Jesus says, I am the guy. And what happened that night, Zach, is what we're going to celebrate tonight is the crucifixion. Mm. That Jesus died on the cross. He died on the cross as a sacrifice. Because we've been asking, what kind of sacrifice could suffice to pay for sins? Jesus Christ could. Because he was not just man. He was God, very God. He was the Lord made flesh. And he was killed not just out of jealousy and spite and cowardice, but he was killed as a sacrifice. It was the will of the Lord to crush him, the book of Isaiah prophesied. That it was the Lord's desire to put the iniquity of all men on Jesus Christ. And Jesus said this would be the new covenant. And when Jesus died, he fulfilled everything that the law was supposed to be. Right. And that's where the new covenant was inaugurated. So now we're living in an age where forgiveness is offered freely because the sacrifice has been made, where the Lord has written his law upon our hearts rather than the external rules. This is the day that the Lord prophesied was going to come and all the nations are finally being blessed because of what God did in Jesus Christ. So, Zach, we can say the Old Testament law has fulfilled its purpose. That's why you read the book of Hebrews now and it keeps saying it's a true and better this and it's a true and better it's that. It's better. Right? That's the right. Hebrews. And, it's better. And it's and it's right because he's saying, look, now we've got a better sacrifice. Jesus one a once for all sacrifice. That's a better sacrifice. Hey, we we don't need, you know, f- we don't need food laws telling you do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, right? Because we've got a better. Like we we receive the the knowledge that we have freedom and grace in Jesus and that we God is making us clean. Right. So that these so that nothing is going to defile us. Right. We we receive we don't need holy days. Right. We've got we've got the fulfillment of those feasts. We've got you know, the Sabbath, the fulfillment of the Sabbath rest because we're resting in Christ. We don't need, you know, the sign of circumcision because it says that he's circumcised our hearts. Like he, he keeps going over this theme of like it's better. Right. Now, the tragedy is not to be a downer because that's all super excited and obviously we're getting excited and even in the Holy Spirit a little bit talking about that. The tragedy is this creates a fork in the road now. Are you going to accept the better thing, the the Messiah that God has sent? Are you going to accept that or are you going to say, no, we're going to remain with what we have. We want this. We want these sacrifices. We want these holy days. We want this righteousness. Or are you going to accept what God has offered? Now, the that fork in the road is for every person, right? Every every human being who comes to that has to make that decision, but it is uniquely for God's chosen people. And unfortunately, for the majority of them, they have said no. We don't yeah. want your Messiah. We won't have, you know, even literally on, you know, Good Friday, we'd have no king but Caesar. If this is if this is your king, get him out of here, right? We're going to we're going to crucify him instead. We won't have your fulfillment of our laws. We want these sacrifices. We want these laws. We want this temple. We want this righteousness. These traditions. Yeah. And yeah. we are going to talk about that for a whole podcast right. on, on that whole tragedy. But but here's the, the the point that we're trying to make. Christians do not keep the Old Testament law. 
Right. Why? Right, right, right. Because Jesus has fulfilled the Old Testament. He kept He's it fulfilled perfectly. the Old Covenant. Yeah. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 18, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Mm. And that's what Jesus has done. Jesus has fulfilled every purpose of the Mosaic law. That old covenant has given way to the new one. That we It, it still functions, and we'll get into this more tomorrow or next time, but <laughs> with that we still can see the revelation of God's righteousness there, that we still see God's truth in it. But it's the old part of the story. Mm. Jesus has brought it to a conclusion. And so remember now, the old covenant was a subset of the promises made to Abraham. Right. So is the new covenant. The old covenant's purpose was to give rise to the new covenant. Exactly. Which is what we have. Which is why Jesus could abrogate the need for sacrifice. Mm. Hebrews 9.12 says there are no more sacrifices to be made. Mark 7.19, Jesus said there are no more food laws. All foods are clean now. Colossians 2.17, we don't keep holy days. Galatians 5.6, we don't need to be circumcised any longer. Because that's where the law was always headed. And we are we are living out the promise that God made to Abraham because of what Jesus has done. So that's why the new covenant is not a matter of eating and drinking. It's not a matter of rules. It's a matter of grace. It's been right. freely given, just like the old covenant was freely given. Except like Jeremiah prophesied, it's different. It's not a matter of the letter. It's a matter of the spirit. That's what Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, we have been made sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. It's totally new. It's totally the the fulfillment of everything that we were looking for in the old covenant has been brought to brought to life in Jesus Christ. And remember we said the old covenant was a one one and all thing. It wasn't, you couldn't pick one commandment. It was nope. to keep all of these or die <laughs> was the yes, old covenant, exactly literally, that. right? Well, the new covenant is the same way. And that's why, that's why it's so important. You know, you might think, well, why do they keep going on about this thing? Who cares? What do you mean? Like, who's, who's asking about keeping the feast? No, even down to this day. And, and in Paul's day, Paul had to write against these things in the New Testament saying, what are you doing? You can't tell them they have to be circumcised. You can't tell Galatians, them they have to keep Colossians, the feast. Ephesians, yeah, because <laughs> people were doing that. And even today, you'll get online or somebody will blow through your church and they'll say, oh, well, you, you worship on Sunday. You eat pork. Well, you're not. This says that it'll never pass away. So you have to keep doing those things to be a Christian. I, I just let me speak to you because maybe you've heard somebody like that. Friend, if you want Jesus' sacrifice to count for you, it has to count for you all the way. If you want him yep. to fulfill the law for you in as regards your sin, he must fulfill the entire law for you. You cannot pick and choose and say, no, I'm good. I've got the, the food law. You just cover my sin. Jesus is not accepting of that. He says, I want to fulfill the entire law. Once for all, I am handling this entire body of things, none of which you can keep. Yeah, this is um, so important. This is, this is, I mean, it's it's critically important. Yeah. That Jesus, this is something that other even Christians will get wrong. Salvation is not God will forgive your sins and then empower you to keep the law and do good works. Right. And those works will then save you. Mm -mm. That is not 
the case. No. Yeah. All of our righteousness is as filthy rags. Mm-hmm. It counts for nothing. Jesus is the only thing that, that can deliver us. It's no longer of works, lest any man should boast. And by the way, those people that think you need to keep the law are the most arrogant, prideful, boastful people you're ever going to meet. Well, of course, because that's Be- the fruit of that. Yeah, look what I can do. The law. Yeah. yeah, if you all were yeah. righteous like me, you'd, you'd be keeping the law and you'd be saying, but guys, isn't this better? Mm. I tell you, as a pastor, <laughs> I deal with so many people, you guys, that are just crushed under the weight of guilt as they ought to be because they can't keep any law. This is a point Paul makes in Romans chapter two. Right. What law? You he can't says, keep anything. <laughs> he says, yeah. the, the Old Testament law is good. He said, but even Gentiles that don't have the law, their own conscience serves the same function. One reason among many why we believe that the law has not been, it has been abolished, but it's been fulfilled is a mm. better term for it. You can't even keep your own conscience. You make your own rules. And you can't keep your rules. Right. And I, I don't care if that's the, you know, the laws of the United States, if it's the law of Moses, if it's your own ideas, if it's the 12 rules for life. Like You can't keep <laughs> the rules. Right. Make a rule and you'll break it. Right. Paul talks about that, that the law stirs up unrighteousness in you because mm-hmm. you don't covet. It's like, no problem. And now I find there's all this covetousness in right. me because I'm, I'm fo- forced to stare at it and realize it. And people come to me and they're just broken. Yeah. by this. And I can to tell them, you, you're forgiven. Jesus wants to forgive you if you just ask mm-hmm. and turn away from the, that old life. Said, I don't want this. I don't want this to count for me anymore because it's not doing anything for me. I just want Jesus to count for me. That's where forgiveness is to be found. God demonstrates his own love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The ultimate sacrifice. You don't need to keep the Sabbath day, guys. Jesus is your Sabbath day. Mm-hmm. You don't need to keep the food laws. All you need to do is partake of the body and the blood of Christ through faith. Right. You don't need to do are we trying to be righteous? Yes, but that comes after. Mm. The order is so important. You are not saved by works. Works come later as a response of joy and thanksgiving to God for what he has done in Christ Jesus. Yeah, praise the Lord, right? Because that means that I can now rest in Jesus, which means that I'm able to, which means that through him, I'm able to produce some good works. That's the only way that would happen, right? Yeah, is if I was actually resting in Christ. I mean, far, you know, it's like Paul says, may, you know, may it never be like, imagine me listening to Jesus say it is finished and say, well, not quite. <laughs> it's almost finished. Yeah, it's, it's almost finished. It'll be finished when I, you know, like it'll be finished when I still hang on to these parts, these few outward parts of the law that make sense to me, not the whole thing, right? But just these couple ones that make sense to me. Once I get those, then it'll be finished. No, either Jesus is your Messiah or not. Right. And, and, you know, praise the Lord that he is a, a Messiah who fulfills, lifts all of that requirement off of our backs that we can't keep and just says, I want you to walk in grace and in love with me now. Right. That's that's the pro- that's why it that's why it matters. That's why it's good. Right. Jesus paid it all. Yeah. All yeah, yeah. to him. I owe mm. sin had left a crimson stain. He washed me white as snow, man. It's it's really hard to, to even bring this to a conclusion here. I'm just so excited talking yeah. about this. But the 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 purpose of history. Right. Why did God create in the first place? God wanted a world filled with his people mm-hmm. for his own glory. That is exactly what he is reaching down to create in Christ Jesus. And he's reached out to the rest of the nations. The times of ignorance are over. And now he commands all men everywhere to repent because he's done everything necessary to save us. And we're waiting for the fulfillment of this. And we're going to get into it a little bit later why the new covenant has begun, but it is not 
come into its fullness yet. You hit on it already with the, the desolation of Israel. We're going to talk about that some more. But all we're talking about today, guys, what's the difference between the Old and the New Covenant? The Old Covenant was good. Mm-hmm. It was pointing and preparing the way for Jesus Christ. And along the way, it was teaching us an awful lot about God that is still true to this day. An awful lot about right and wrong and justice and nations and male and female and all of that. But the purpose, the function of the law has been accomplished in order to fulfill the promise made to Abraham by bringing about the seed that we were waiting for, who would provide blessing to all the nations. And that's what we have in Christ Jesus. And that's why we can say Father Abraham had many sons. And many sons had Father Abraham because now there are children of Abraham brought into his promise by faith through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that's the difference between the Old and the New Covenant. It is absolutely essential that we have moved past that into something that is better, as the writer to the Hebrews said. So we're going to bring this one Mm. to a close today. Uh, It's Good Friday, and I'm all pumped up to preach tonight talking about the death of Jesus. (laughs) Let's go. Uh, Next time. What we're going to talk about are uh, the function of this. So, okay, Mm. then what do we do, right? What do we do now? How do we live? This is where we're going to talk about the Sabbath. We're going to talk about the food laws. Uh, We're going to talk about how do you interpret the Old Testament? Does it still have anything to say to us? Spoiler alert, it does. Uh, But today (laughs) it was important to get the, the basis of all of this. What is a Christian? It's somebody who believes that Jesus Christ was the Messiah of Israel, Mm. fulfilling the law, fulfilling the sacrifices, fulfilling the priesthood, all of those things, so that we might come to God freely, as he promised in the Garden of Eden. Zach, do you have anything to say in closing? No, I agree. This stuff, it it does get you fired up. And I hope you're seeing how we talk about, you know, theology and we kind of even have, I think on the website now that theology for normal people (laughs) thing, right? That I like where it's like, look guys, this isn't, I hope you can see why these things are important. They impact your walk with God. Your, the, the way that you pray and study your Bible and think about the Lord, it, it matters, right? And, and going around with confused ideas or ideas where you're, you know, you, you, you just, Oh, I don't think about that theology stuff. It actually can change whether you understand that you're free in Christ, which is a super important thing, you know, or anything like that. So, you know, that's why sometimes if it feels like we're down a rabbit hole, we, there's a reason, you know, because all these things are important and we want to know God rightly and know his word rightly. Right. And, and that's a fun thing, right? It doesn't have to be a burden, but we want to know those things because we want to, you know, we want to, we want to apprehend right that fullness of what Jesus has promised us. And we don't want to miss out on any of that. And in learning about it all is just like anything that you really enjoy and is really important to you. It, it might take some time and some effort and that's good. Right. So, yeah. So if you're a Christian, you probably already believe these things. Mm-hmm. You are maybe not sure why you believe these things. Uh, you maybe are concerned that, well, what about this? Because I've been trying to read more about the Bible and I've been, you know, what about this law? What about this word here? And, uh, next week we're going to get into all of that and hopefully uh, give you some some more answers. Mm-hmm. But guys, Jesus was the was the Christ, the Son of the Living God. He died on the cross for the forgiveness of sins, and He rose on the third day to provide eternal life for everyone who believes. He's written His law upon our hearts, and now we're just waiting for Him to return. And we say, "Come quickly, Lord Jesus." Happy Good Friday, Happy Easter to everybody. By the time you hear this, it'll be over. But I'm still wishing it to you anyway. And uh, God bless you all. We'll see you next time. 